Welcome to Nebraskanomics, where we help Nebraskans remove barriers to opportunity with policy research and legislative advice. I'm your host, Jim Vocal, CEO of the Platt Institute, a Nebraska-based think tank promoting policies that make it easier to get a good job, start a business, and help Nebraskans keep more of what they earn. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, then let's get started. In November, many Nebraska voters will decide who represents them in the unicameral in Lincoln. But some of the key races for state and federal offices are effectively decided in the primary election, in which only a relatively small share of the electorate participates. My guest today says changes to Nebraska election laws could make the voting process more competitive and make sure the majority of voters get a chance to weigh in at the polls. Joining me now is Tyler Fisher, the Senior Director for Policy and Partnerships at Unite America, a nonpartisan election reform organization. Tyler, welcome to Nebraskanomics. Thanks, excited to be here. All right, you recently published a piece with Laura Epke from our team in the Lincoln Journal Star, calling for Nebraska to rethink its approach to primary elections. And you listed a number of potential reform options. Let's start off by having you explain some of the reasons for that and how our primary elections could be improved from what we're doing now. Thanks, Jim, excited for the conversation today. Let's start with what are the problems associated with our partisan uh, primaries. First, when you zoom out and you look nationally, you see that more than 85% of congressional districts are safe for one party or the other. That means political pundits don't see any pathway to one party beating the other party come November. The result of that is that the partisan primaries are the election of consequence for the vast majority of our elections. But very few people participate in them. Nebraska has had about 25% participation earlier this month, which is about five points better than most states are doing. But even fewer voters are actually deciding the outcomes of American elections because it is only those voters who participate in the dominant party primary that effectively have any say in who goes to Washington or who represents them as governor. Um, And oftentimes there isn't even a candidate opposing the incumbent in a partisan primary. So that's why nationally in 2020, only 10% of Americans effectively elected 83% of our congressional representatives. But it's not just how few voters are electing the vast majority of Congress. It's about the consequences of that problem for the member of Congress and the incentives that they face. Research shows that Incumbents have figured this out, and they're more attentive to the special interests that spend money in partisan primaries. They fear retribution from primary voters if they compromise to solve problems with members of the other party. And uh, new research finds that one-fourth of the rise of polarization over the last four decades is due to the increased threat of a primary challenge. And so it's first really important to diagnose what are the problems associated with the parties in primaries before we talk about the solutions which for me, start with replacing partisan primaries that serve parties with nonpartisan primaries that serve voters. The difference being whether or not all candidates compete and whether all voters can uh, participate. So in an ideal world, all candidates appear on the same nonpartisan primary ballot and all voters can participate in it. Nebraska has this system for its unicameral, um, though, parties can't designate uh, which candidates on the um, nonpartisan ballot are a part of their primary. 
And I actually think an improvement would be to allow party labels to be on the nonpartisan primary ballot so voters know who's a part of which party, but to rejigger the system so that uh, all voters can vote for any candidate that they think best represents them in the partisan primary. Louisiana uses a pretty similar system. In fact, they actually don't have a traditional primary. They host what they call a jungle primary in November. If one candidate gets 50% in the primary, the election is over. If not, they host a runoff in December. And then what I'm watching most is the Alaska system. Alaska voters in 2020 approved a top four nonpartisan primary uh, where four candidates will move on to the general election where whoever earns a majority of votes uh, will be elected. If you're in a safe red district, you might have the opportunity to choose between two, three, or four Republican candidates. If you're in a safe blue district, the same thing is true. You might have a choice between a handful of Democrats in November. This will also likely create pathways for independent and third party candidates uh, to compete. And to return to the final point I made on incumbent behavior, it really does liberate uh, US senators, governors, and state legislators to govern in the public interest. I appreciate that. Uh, let me start this next question by saying from all accounts, uh, we have very secure elections in Nebraska, but there's always some political hay made over election integrity or even just election interference. So what is your answer to those who would say, uh, we all know the rules right now, it ain't broke, don't fix it, or even that electrical elect electoral reform represents a way to unfairly change the rules of the game for the benefit of those who just can't win under the current system? Well, first, if somebody said it ain't broke I'd, and it didn't need to be fixed, I'd be asking them what country they're living in or what politics they're watching. Uh, congressional approval rating is below 20%. Trusting government is at all times lows. Uh, government is not solving the major problems facing Americans. Um, and everybody knows that. Um, electoral reforms aren't about increasing the political power of one party over the other. Uh, they are about changing the incentives to actually solve problems and put uh, the public interest over partisan and special interests. But to react to your first point, you're totally right. Uh, the left is increasingly worried about voter suppression and the right is increasingly uh, concerned about voter fraud. The reality, however, is that the 2020 election was the highest turnout election in American history. More than two thirds of us participated. It was also the most secure election in American history, according to President Trump's own Department of Homeland Security. Um, so, you know, the uh, kind of the concerns from both sides are a little overstated, uh, but that doesn't uh, change the premise of your question, which, which is true, which is that at a time when there's serious questions about election integrity, changing the way we vote uh, does feel kind of far-fetched to people. But it's important to realize that in order to get to the ultimate changes that we desire in our political system, it's not just about changing who we elect, but it is about how we elect them. And that's why I think electoral reform can be a powerful solution to the moment we find ourselves in. All right. In, uh, in terms of having open nonpartisan primary for statewide officers, I can see worries coming from uh, multiple sides. The conservative Republicans might not like it because more moderate candidates might win the primary. Democrats might not like it because they may not get to run a candidate in November. And the same could be said for third parties. Unless voters take the opportunity to vote for third parties in much larger numbers, will never advance to the general election. So what would the people with these objections be missing? The key thing they're missing is that elections are about good representation. It's not about whether or not 
one party wins or one type of candidate wins. Um, if it's true that in a safe red district, Democrats and independent voters effectively have no say in who goes to Washington or who represents them in the governor's mansion, those voters should have a say because that will lead to better representation. The same thing is true of blue, blue districts and blue states. Um, the reality is statewide candidates in California, New York, and Washington don't have to represent Republican or independent voters uh, because they know the partisan primary is their way to power. The same thing is true in red states like Wyoming and Alabama and Nebraska, where voter or candidates know that the, the only election they have to worry about is the partisan primary. And so I, I, I kind of reject the premise of the question because it's, it's not about well, is it going to be this type of Republican who wins or this type of Democrat who wins? It's about changing the system so that the candidate who's supported by the broadest swath of his or her voters is ultimately the one who gets elected. All right. You mentioned uh, a few states. Uh, why don't you walk our listeners through what states have changed their systems and what maybe Nebraska can learn from those states? Yeah, so I call out a few. I mentioned Louisiana earlier. Alaska passed this policy in 2020 to be used for the first time in 2022. What we're seeing in Alaska is a higher number of candidates running for office uh, more than ever before. In fact, for their U.S. House race, they have 48 candidates uh, running right now. Um, we are seeing, uh, is, as evidenced by the legislature working with the governor on a number of uh, policy priorities, we're actually seeing uh, incumbents recognizing the impact of the policy. Um, there's candidates who were legislators who were primaried in 2020 under the old system, running for re-election under the new system. Um, so we're seeing a lot of positive impacts and I'm really excited uh, to watch what happens in Alaska this year. Uh, Alaska, the second kind of component of their reform is ranked choice voting, which is another reform that I talked about with Laura in our op-ed. Uh, ranked choice voting is a reform that can give voters more voice, choice, and power by allowing them to rank their candidates in order of preference, and an instant runoff guarantees a majority winner. Um, both the left and the right has used this. The state of Maine has used it in 2018 and 2020. The Virginia GOP just used it to nominate Glenn Youngkin as their gubernatorial candidate who went on to win uh, last November. Uh, the Democratic Party used ranked choice voting in presidential primaries in five states in 2020. So it's been being used in primaries to guarantee majority winners. And when you think about the Nebraska governor's race last week, there were seven or eight candidates for governor and the leading candidate ended up emerging with just 34%. Um, so ranked choice voting is a solution that could uh, guarantee majority winners. It's also used in Utah in 23 different cities. So ranked choice voting is solving problems in cities by actually getting rid of primaries altogether and just hosting a ranked choice voting general, which is saving taxpayer dollars. Um, so there's real momentum behind these ideas um, all across the country. I think it's appealing to be able to rank the candidates based on your preference, because there's always the worry in a competitive field that if you vote for the candidate you really want, you might be creating a spoiler effect that helps the candidate you don't support. Explain what do voters who have tried ranked choice voting think about it? And then is there any evidence of voters changing their voting strategies based on this approach? Yeah, 
Well, you're definitely right. That's one of the key value propositions of ranked choice voting. I want to vote for this candidate, but if I vote for them, it'll help the candidate I like least because there's this middle candidate that is kind of would be my second choice. Ranked choice voting gives voters the ability to um, make that ranking. Um, what your question was, what do voters think of it? They love it. Uh, voters historically have enjoyed the ranking process, they've found it easy to use, and they want to use it again. This has been true in exit polls that have been done in San Francisco, in, in Utah, and in, in New York City. Um, and voters do report using the rankings because it a, allows them to vote for the candidate they like most, it allows them uh, more power in the voting booth, um, it gives them more choices to choose from. Um, so voters who use ranked choice voting like it a lot. All right, moving past what the ballot and voting process would look like, I'm gonna give you this final opportunity to make your closing argument. What's your philosophy, Tyler, or aspiration for how electoral reform can better represent voters or improve the quality of governing? So take those things in part. How can it better empower voters? We'll know voters are more empowered if they show up to vote more often. States with nonpartisan primaries see about 10% higher turnout than other states. We'll also know that voters have more choices if there's more candidates on the ballot, if there's more choices to choose from. If in November they're getting to choose between two Republicans or two Democrats, if those are the best two candidates to represent the district. Um, We'll also know voters are, are enjoying the system if we ask them after the election, did you enjoy that system compared uh, to the status quo? What will we, how will, what are the aspirations on how these systems impact governing? Um, what we'll see is we'll see policy getting made. We'll see Democrats, Republicans, and perhaps independents and third party candidates coming together in coalitions to pass um, policies that Americans care about. Because the reality is that if you ask, Americans on the issues, they tend to agree, but they send individuals to Congress with different electoral incentives. And that's what's prevented uh, good governance from getting done. Tyler, thanks for joining us today on Nebraska Novice. Yep. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, please visit platinstitute.org to make a donation to help fund our research and advocacy. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter and learn about today's most important issues facing Nebraskans. It's time to stop the status quo. Let's remove economic barriers and make Nebraskans proud.